Okay. This is going to be an easy one for me. I wouldn't say very easy. I take that back. I would say the episode is very succinct where it won't take so much time, but it'll take enough time where I'm dealing with something hard. But the easy, or I should say, thing is that I've done the work and continue to do the work after this. Here we go. Dealing with Rape Fantasies of Survivor Sexual Violence by Kate. This is circa 2009. Fantasies are images or scenes that produce enjoyable feelings. They can range from brief thoughts or images to stories with detailed plot lines. They may deal with actual past experiences, purely imagined experiences, or a mixture of both. They could be non-sexual. Fantasy could be fantasizing about becoming a millionaire or being a world-famous rock star. And they could be sexual fantasizing about kissing your favorite celebrity by having sex with a colleague or a friend and so on. Some people fantasize during sex about being out of control, being forced to have sex against their will. There are many theories as to why people have rape fantasies and it is an area that is still very much taboo and hush-hush in society. Some people believe that having a rape fantasy means that the person fantasizing wants to be raped. Some people believe that fantasizing about rape means you are masochistic. Some people believe that a rape survivor should not, fan- should not find fantasizing about rape sexually arousing. Many survivors working through their sexual healing by rape fantasy experience a lot of shame and confusion. They may feel disgusted with themselves for having a rape fantasy. They may feel about enjoying fantasizing about rape fantasy. I'm sorry, they may feel that enjoying fantasizing about rape that validates the trauma that they went through and they question if they actually want to be raped and so on. This article will discuss some of the main questions about rape fantasy for the survivor sexual violence map. Hopefully, it's just enough for the survivor to understand their fantasies without shame and judgment. Um, remember, of course, that human sexuality is highly individual. There's no uh, one size fits all approach to understanding why we fantasize about the things we do. It's unlikely that all people have rape fantasies for the same reason. Does fantasizing about rape mean I want it to be rape? Just like the general population, many survivors will have had rape fantasies before the abuse slash assault occurred. Having these kinds of fantasies does not mean the survivor wants to be rape. Rape fantasies during sex can symbolize many things. But the difference between fantasy and reality is that in fantasy, the survivor is totally in control of what happens and when it happens, whereas in actual sexual assault, there's absolutely no semblance of control whatsoever. The desire to be out of, out of control in a sexual fantasy is in no way a desire to be raped in real life. Fantasies often serve as a wish fulfillment. For example, fantasize about somebody you're in love with, meaning if they've slept and so on. This theory would suggest that then the person fantasizing wants to be raped. However, this is a myth. Common fantasy of quote unquote rape barely resembles actual rape. More often than not, most people have rape fantasies imagine a passionate scene with very little force based around the quote-unquote victim being so desirable that the quote-unquote rapist cannot control themselves, while the victim generally does not feel the terror, confusion, hate, rage, and disgust of an actual rape. These kinds of fantasies often term quote-unquote erotic rape fantasies for telling good 1998. The second type of rape fantasy that's generally discussed is a quote-unquote aversive rape fantasy, one which more resembles one which more realistically resembles actual rape fantasy in relation by the pain, Gratelli, and Bavana. Uh, uh, this type of rape fantasy is more realistic design in case that the person fantasizing wants to be raped. The, the wish 
quote unquote, the wish fulfillment could very well be that the person desires a passionate sexual encounter that they want to feel desired for has the relief of not having to be in control. If rape fantasies were assigned that the person fantasized wanted to be raped, would be expected that there would be some relationship between having fantasies of rape and actually being raped as while rape it as while rape is always the choice of the rapist and every victim's fault or decisions we make every day that can influence the possibility of being raped. If there's this theory is not supported by statistics that has been found that women who have rape fantasies are no more likely to be raped than women who don't. Um, this was by Golden, Clegg, 1990, Canon, and Canon, one Pauls. Um, that sentence when it says a decision we make every day that can influence the possibility of rape, that's a very vague um, sentence. Um, I think it could have been worded much better. I would not even word that way at all. I would have just emphasized uh, healthy boundaries. Sometimes when I read certain things, some of the writing is awful. And if you put healthy boundaries, and if you want to just talk about that, say that, but when you make sentences like that, that's how rape culture can be um promoted to people and that is never worthy of any kind of promotion whatsoever at all okay moving on to the next question does fantasize about rape mean that what happens to was that bad having rape fantasy as a, as a, as a survivor is no way in no way makes the brutality of what happens to be less valid rape is about power control shame degradation humiliation so many other awful things it was that bad. Fantasize about rape and aftermath of sexual violence can in no way take away the reality and the validity of the brutal crime that was done to you. How can I find rape's event how can I find rape fantasies to be a turn on after being abused? Having rape fantasies after rape and sexual abuse does not mean there's something wrong with you. Many people, both male and female, have rape fantasies and enjoy them, including people who are in gender and sexual diversity. It is difficult to get an exact number how many people have rape fantasies as the very type of subject. The research has shown that rape fantasies play a major role in the fantasy lives of one to two people in ten as a lust and a fertility above on a thousand As a survivor of rape, I, it can feel like a quote unquote portrayal of your mind to have a rape fantasy. You can feel disgusted with yourself for being turned on by matching rape. It seems that for whatever reason, rape fantasies are a natural part of both male and female sexuality, including gender and sexual diversity. Just because you're a rape survivor does not mean that you somehow need to be held to a different standard than everybody else. Okay, that sentence uh, can be very, very dicey. Let me explain that one. Um, basically, they're talking about um, equality, equity, and uh, not going about mistreatment no mistreatment is what they're saying and they're also talking about there's there's no need nor desire for otherism tribalism i wish they would say it that way so people can have a much easier time processing this weighty heavy reality is having a rape is having a rape fantasy quote unquote healthy for me doesn't mean I'm perverted. Simply having a rape fantasy is not necessarily bad. 
Okay, let me explain. We're, we are not... Um, we're not encouraging criminality. Um, we are not encouraging pedophilia. We're not encouraging doing sex crimes to adults either. There's the type of rape fantasy where the age of consent is honored. Being of age, um, the search model that I put enthusiastic in, enthusiastic consent, enthusiastic equality, enthusiastic respect, enthusiastic trust, enthusiastic safety, more than just safer sex actual safer sex uh, health practice which should be in place but you're physically safe with that person they're protective of you protective of them and in, inside you feel that safety that person makes you feel safe inside makes you feel safe inside too so we're talking about in this case we're talking about sexual role play where everyone's cognizant and capable of being a part of the sexual interaction. We are not talking about sex rings. We're not talking about sex trafficking. We're not talking about sex criminals. There is a distinction. Alright? Because you have some people who have group sex. Some people have two people sexing. They have rape fantasies. They're sexual role play. But no crime is committed, no torture is committed, no torment is committed, no abuse is committed, no violence is committed, no trauma is committed, no victimization is committed, no human rights are violated at all, right? Okay. As pointed out by Stacey Haynes 1999, there are no quote-unquote right or wrong fantasies when it comes to consenting of age fully wanting this and fully needing to need this type of relationship, okay? Now, obviously, they're wrong fantasies if you're a pervert. That There's no sugarcoating that. There's no negotiating that. Um, she advises survivors to avoid labeling their fantasies that focus on whether those fantasies impact whether those fantasies impact on negative or positive her advice for whatever a fantasy is affecting negative is to consider do you dissociate when you have a rape fantasy don't use fantasies avoid being present with yourself or with your partner don't practice being disembodied dissociated when you are sexual fantasies can be a way to be present in the body with your partner to help to make your sex life um, richer uh, do you have more than one fantasy that fantasy can always be turned on Stacey Haynes, 1999, considers it less important to analyze the content of fantasy, more important to focus on whether that fantasy feels compulsive or a negative impact to your healing. She advises that part of sexual healing is to allow more flexibility to your thinking, more freedom in your sexual choices. Regardless of the messages you receive about what sex is, if the fantasy feels intrusive and uncontrollable, try approaching it as a trigger and break it down the way you would any other kind of trigger. For many survivors, rape fantasies can be a powerful way of working through the memories and dynamics of the abuse. They may recreate the assault or aspects of sexual abuse and intentionally take control of the past. They may be fantasy to the closure and what happened to them. 
and they feel empowered by taking them as something that was uncontrolled using their dynamic and sexual fantasies. Regardless of the content of fantasies, the most important thing is to make sure that they are not negatively reflecting the person fantasizing. Having a rape fantasy as a rape survivor does not mean that you wanted it or that you're perverted. It's nothing to feel shame about or judge yourself for. Many, many people have rape fantasies, despite popular belief they have an often actually rape. There is no connection between having a rape fantasy and being a survivor of rape. It's a universal fantasy across all groups of people and all cultures. If you feel that your fantasy is negatively impacting you, support a doctor professional about it. Your sexual healing and sexual well-being is very important and desire to feel comfortable with yourself and sexuality. And you deserve to feel comfortable with yourself and your sexuality too. To find a sex therapist, contact www.aascp.org for a list of sex therapists in your area. Or if you prefer, have a read through finding a therapist, learn how to find a trauma counselor you feel comfortable with. As with any therapist, it's important to interview potential candidates to learn how much to know about working with survivors. Insurance doesn't generally cover sexual problems, but if sex problems can lead to anxiety and depression, sex therapy can help with those kinds of diagnoses when those kinds of diagnoses are made. Additionally, post-traumatic stress is widely covered by insurance companies. Well, here's how I go about it, right? I am a rape survivor. I do have consensual rape fantasies in the form of rough sex. Rough sex is not abusive and it's not torturous. It's aggression that is humanely animalistic. You can be animalistic as long as you're humane. You can be aggressive as long as you're humane. And for me, I know the difference between illegal rape fantasies and legal rape fantasies. One makes you a predator. The other is we're in this together. We have equal uh, authority. We have there's equity and power, and there's no supremacy. And there's absolutely no superiority. So I'm glad I can cl clear these things up. Like for myself, I know that as a survivor, um, when it comes to the world of porn, some people think, well, you want to do porn because of sexual abuse. You know, I would be doing porn without sexual abuse. And for me, when it comes to porn, I uh, I honor people. I honor myself just like I would do off screen. And one more thing that I want to say about porn, I feel like they need to repeat my, I'm not doing this out of trauma thing, so people can really understand it. Here's a new reason why I'm doing this. I want to show people that you can be ethically fully human. That's the only new reason. That's the last reason. And then I'll go to another subject. So the reason why I want to show porn, I want to show that you can have healthy rape fantasies without breaking the law, without breaking anybody's body, without breaking anybody's spirit, 
without breaking anybody's image, without breaking anybody's heart, without breaking anybody's soul, without breaking anybody's mind, without breaking anybody's five human senses, and without breaking anybody's six sensing of instincts. Um, to be ethically fully human is what that means. To be ethically fully humane as a person, to be ethically fully humane means that you are truly ethically fully human. That's why I want to get into visual, written, audio, um, and read erotic. Alright? I want to do erotic thrillers, sex and films, you know, that stuff. Let me go to something so we can talk about it. Uh, I really want to go on a journey where so I also want to talk about what it means for me to be a survivor. I dare say that when it comes to the concept of not being a survivor, I'll share with you these things. So, my sex and sexuality, my eroticism, and my sensuality on and off camera are good, productive, um, self-giving, others-giving, self-receiving, others-receiving, liberating and nurturing, uplifting, holistic, uh, abundant life, um, easy to flow, and physically and innerly prosperous ways um, there are no unnecessary difficulties I would say that my sex and sexuality eroticism and sensuality are filled with compassionate love uh, compassionate joy compassionate peace Compassionate patience, compassionate kindness, compassionate goodness, um, being faithful to honoring the people as well as being faithful and honoring myself and then being faithful and honoring me. Um, compassionate gentleness, compassionate self-control, compassionate self-discipline, compassionate charity, compassionate modesty, also, compassion, moderation. Um, there's nothing legalistic about my sex and sexuality, eroticism and sexuality. There's nothing lawless about my sex and sexuality, eroticism and sensuality. There's nothing elitist about my sex, sexuality, eroticism and sensuality. And at the same time, my sexuality is, um, it's truthful. 
there's nothing false about my sex, sexuality, erotic, and my sensuality. Um, I have more to say, so please continue to give me more time and give myself more time to I would say that um, my sex and sexuality, my erotic and sensuality begins with wisdom, respecting and appreciating um, sexual wisdom, erotic wisdom, sen- uh, sensual wisdom, I have reverence and awe toward sexual wisdom, erotic wisdom, sensual wisdom. But it also means I'm respecting and appreciating who I am and who the people are. And they're respecting and appreciating who I, who I am. We have reverence and awe towards ourselves and each other. Um, my strategy for sexual effective living, number two, requires more application. Meaning that I, my, the people in myself, when I say people, meaning um, potential lovers, current lovers, talking about even ones in the past. We're trusting in ourselves and each other. We're allowing each, ourselves and each other to speak to each other personally and ourselves personally. And we're also willing to submit to um, physical and inner ethicalness. And my strategy for sexual effective living requires practical application. We're acting on sexual discernment, erotic discernment, and sensual discernment daily. My strategy for sexual effective living results in sexual effective living. We are experiencing the benefits of submitting to uh, sexual wisdom, erotic wisdom, sensual wisdom. Um, when it comes to my sex life, there's no haughtiness, no lying, no murdering, no scheming, no eagerness to do wrong, no false witnesses, no stirring up dissension, no untruthfulness, no sacrifice of the wicked, no way of the wicked, no thoughts of the wicked, no, no one who is proud in an arrogant kind of way, no unjust judgments, and no violent deeds. Uh, In my sex life, we listen to advice, we quietly accept instruction and criticism. Uh, we receive honor, we profit constructive rebuke, we help each other avoid traps, we spread words, we speak wise, 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 we spread time. Um, and we live extremely healthily, self disciplined lives. That's what myself and my partner's will. 
Um, so, those are the new things I wanted to say. Let me now read to y'all this. Sexual healing after trauma. Guest post by Mary Lee Bow. So, why choose to reclaim sex? The path of reclaiming the wounded erotic is neither classic nor boring or full of dis and precipices. Eddie moments of the least crushing assault of shame. But at its core is the real fire we are all after that blazing and untarnished aliveness that lies within everything of value and spirit that we do. Right here in our bodies and our defense of our rights to spring ashore and the refusal to abandon the place where we have most completely invaded and colonized and our determination to make the bonds of defoliated lions flower again and bear fruit. Here where we have been most shame is one of the most radical and sacred places in which to transform the world Aurora Aurora Levin's Morales. Very often trauma recovery focuses on restoring the sexual violence survivors to a baseline of normalcy so that they can make it through the day without being repeatedly re-triggered. This is quite natural. No one should have to go through life experiencing the stress and anxiety of experiencing the world as fundamentally unsafe. The majority of healing mythologies rightly focus on the on releasing negative emotions, memories, and beliefs that the survivor shares on their past traumatic experiences. The goal of healing is ultimately for the survivor to be able to live a normal, happy, and healthy life. Yet one area that is often under acknowledged in the healing process is sexuality. Perhaps it's because of the fear that sexuality itself is too raw and painful a place to go with a, with a survivor of sexual violence. Or perhaps it is because our culture itself has its own deep and unresolved sexual wounds. Sex is for many both an intriguing and frightening topic. Talking about healthy sexuality at the dinner table or opening on your Facebook page is bound to get you silenced and in some cases social exclusion. Trust me, I know is what the writer is saying and not me. The stakes are high, but only because sex can be really, really powerful. Our society often shies away from conversations around sex and sexuality. However, at the recent Winter Institute for the American Association of Sexual Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, AASECT, Healthy sexuality was a central topic of the week in the AASCE. The AASECT event was focused specifically on sexuality and trauma entitled Trauma Informed Approach to Sexuality from Coping to Thriving Slash New Ways to Work with Sexual Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Over the weekend, other participants and I learned about different types of trauma, how they affect human sexuality. There were lectures to be sure, but also tantra workshops, breathing exercises, and role plays. It's incredible to see over 50 educators, doctors, and therapists engaged in the topic of healing sexual trauma. It was not easy to talk openly about the pain of sexual trauma and everyone was affected, especially those in the room who were survivors of pain. Importantly, though, over the duration of the week, we also got how resilient brave people are in their healing. I wanted to share some highlights from what I've learned at the conference about why sexual healing is so important for trauma survivors. One. Trauma is trauma no matter the size. There's no big T trauma, little T trauma. Very often people feel that they were not the victim of a violent rape or crime and they were not traumatized. But trauma comes in all forms. It could be something that was said to be done as a child, a car accident, an unpleasant sexual experience. It doesn't matter. If someone feels traumatized, then they deserve to experience healing. Very often partners and survivors of sexual violence are themselves victims of neglect as children. But they tell themselves that their story and their pain does not matter compared to the obvious trauma of their partner. Both partners may be wounded, both need healing. There are methods to healing that can accommodate the separate and unique needs of the individuals within the couple. 
also serving to restore the connection and intimacy of contact. Consider Ruth Cohen's, Cohen's book, CommingHomeToCompassion.com, for more information about this work. Number two, it's important to take an intersectional view of the survivors for identity and healing process, one that is inclusive of their gender, race, sexuality, disability, and more, all of which may impact their experience of survival trauma. The picture of survivors' healing journey can be deeply influenced by the resources for healing and justice that may or may not be made available to them. Socioeconomic, gender, and race realities are part of the fabric of one's identity that means that survivors may also respond to trauma in different ways based on the sum of their lived experiences. For example, a trans man who is raped and treated sexually as a woman may endure both the trauma of sexual assault and the trauma of being violently misgendered, not to mention the barriers that he may encounter navigating transphobic response systems and institutions. It's also important to understand that race, class, and gender can directly affect who is physically and sexually assaulted. One or two transgender people are victims of sexual abuse slash assault office for victims of crime, which often co occurs with other violence. C4 traditional information, multiracial Native American communities experience disproportionately higher rates of rape, RAIN, R-A-I-N-N. Importantly, within the population of Native American survivors, the 70% of the violence committed by persons not of the same race features about violence. Furthermore, the way an individual wishes to seek treatment may also vary based on identities as there is no single path to healing. Let the survivor tell you how they want to be treated, what they require for their healing, how they wish for their experience, and how you manage to be held. Let them define the terms of the process. Let them define the terms of their process. This, this is essential sexual trauma creates an immediate and collateral sense of deep powerlessness, invisibility, and the removal of choice. Three, trauma, emotional, physical, sexual, psychological generation often manifests sexually. Sexuality involves both body and mind required vulnerability, which can make it intimidating for survivors of trauma who may not yet feel safe enough within their own shape to be sexual. As well, trauma experts tell us that it is not just negative sensation that can be triggered or destabilized for survivors, but also positive sensations. Anything that creates a loss of control, however brief, can be fear-inducing. For more information on that business process, see the books by Ruth Cohen and Stacey Haynes in the, in the resources section. Or sex is a human right. Being able to safely and freely experience sexuality is a vastly basic human function. Sexual violence takes away the sense of safety and affects many aspects of the person's overall well-being. However, it is important to remember that not having sex is an important part of a person's right to safe sexuality and self-determination. If sexual individuals make a romantic love develop intimate relationships without a desire to engage in sex, this is a valid sexual orientation like any other. Uh, when workers asexual survivors, it's important to not assume their identity is the result of trauma. These assumptions often emerge from limiting views about gender and sexuality. Let survivors narrate their, narrate their own story and do not make assumptions. Remember, quote unquote, sex includes an incredibly wide variety of behaviors far beyond heterosexual intercourse, including self love, erotic breath breath, work, touch, physical intimacy, without penetration, so much more. Finally, as Audre Lorde and Aurora Levin Morales points out, whether you participate in quote-unquote sex in, quote -quote, in, in, in any quote-unquote conventional sense is not really important. What matters is that we do not lose our internal sense of the self, of the erotic aliveness of our bodies and the world around us. When we awaken our souls and bodies to pleasure, the choice to have or not have sex or engage in sexuality is not the result of trauma, rather our own agency, self-knowledge, and desire. Five, do not avoid the subject of sex with survivors. It is the elephant in the room. When we avoid the talking about sex, we simply reinforce the false cultural notion that sex is shameful to be kept in secret. This further isolates survivors. 
sex with these friends or person with someone else is shame and hatred, taputi, and it's the extreme result of this cultural taboo. At the same time, avoid over-sexualizing survivors. Some survivors of sexual trauma have internalized their objectification to think they only feel valuable in sexual desire. This is a natural response to surviving sexual abuse. Let your partner or friend know that their sexuality is sacred. That is, that it is theirs and they too are sacred. For more information, read Jan Kapiti's article on the transmission of effect listed below. Above all, just the sexuality could be exercised in harmful ways, as in the case of sexual trauma, it could also be used to heal, transform, and create positive connection. Now, if you look at it, sex is powerful. Think about it. Whenever mind, emotions, the body, and relationship all interface, when experience a behemoth of catalytic conversions results calling 86 or put differently by one of my favorite writers Ariel Levin Morales reclaiming sexuality is essential to humanity because it is at its core is the real fire we're all after that blazing untarnished aliveness that lies within everything of value and spirit that we do according to 83 we must begin to think of healthy sexuality as an element of our wholeness sex for sex is safe is neither inherently healthy nor healing Though it can be if one exercises agency and feels free to experience pleasure. True authentic sexuality puts us in touch with what Arthur Lorde calls the erotic. The erotic, according to Lorde, is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings. It's an eternal sense of satisfaction to which one who have experienced it we know we can, we can aspire. For having experienced the fullness of this death and feeling and recognizing its power and honor, self respect we can require. No less of ourselves when we deny the erotic of life is, of course, that informs the whole person. One's spirit is wounded in their sexuality, and they also suffer. If one's body has suffered trauma, their spirit may also experience pain. People are complex creatures, and it's not entirely possible to isolate sex from the soul. Thus, a significant part of healing from sexual trauma is learning to be sexual, again, in a way that is accessible and meaningful to the survivor. For many, the journey cannot begin directly with sexual healing. It is important to begin wherever one can by journaling, engaging in movement practices, talking to a friend, working with psychotherapists, or seeking out other holistic forms of healing treatment. Eventually, one may feel ready to explore their sexual self again, even if only with themselves. To seek to experience desire often correlates with the, with the deadening sensation in other areas of one's life. Beginning to feel a sense of sensuality is connected to reclaiming one's voice, agency, creativity, vulnerability, and power. Sexual healing can even occur in the group environment of a yoga class, a meditation room, or a community acupuncture clinic, although in those settings it may not appear sexual from the outside. Sexual healing emerges when a survivor practices releasing toxic notions of their body, their desire, and their right to pleasure. I have found that being in the presence of others who are also healing is alchemical and powerful. The road to healing is a winding one, and different methods may be needed along the way. It's not always necessary to seek special services to gain sexual healing. Specific healers and healing practices may help to remove the obstacles to intimacy, such as sex therapists who are trained in both psychotherapy and sexuality, and combine individuals and couples with the process of restoring intimacy after trauma. I recommend looking for a sex therapist who has had special training in trauma healing modalities such as EMDR, biofeedback, and neurofeedback, and somatic approaches to healing trauma. Additionally, there are tantric practitioners who offer sexual healing services that utilize deep breath work, energy healing to release spiritual blockages that may be preventing full sexual expression. 
shamanic healing and other spirit-oriented works of the soul retreat can also be tailored to focus on sexual healing. Some yoga practices are particularly powerful, but are particularly powerful in awakening sexually healing energy without directly retelling or re-experiencing prior trauma. Spiritual work in general can be deeply connected to sexuality, though many modern practices of meditation, chanting, and simply journaling to get in touch with their own innate healing desire and ability. Explore your community for local spiritual groups and healing centers that might offer low-cost workshops, meditation instruction, reiki, yoga, and other resources that connect you to the sense of your own body. Find room that while the process of healing can at times be painful, there's a chance to end with love, what is broken and frightened so that it might be transformed. And there's more that I want to say about my sexuality. I, my sexuality, my sensuality, my eroticism, and my sex, um, you know, sex having, it helps others with good advice, it enjoys wisdom, is cautious for reasons, seeks knowledge, it values wisdom above riches, it receives life, it responds to correction well, pursues wisdom, it profits from correction, it trusts in wisdom, it it controls its anger from the sexual trauma past, and it's admired as a counselor, it's rewarded with knowledge, it keeps peace, it stays in correct paths, and um, it's uh, it, it, it has great advice, it works with the paths, and and it values wisdom above strength. Let's speak more about my sex, sexuality, eroticism, and sensuality. Um, I'll put this in closing. My partners and myself, this is how we talk to each other on screen, off screen. I say on screen is that I'm already having an important career because it helps me terms of that much needed confidence. There's no laziness to my on-screen and off-screen sex life, by the way. Um, my sex life is, is gratitude and appreciation and gratefulness and contentment and But my partners and I, we speak to each other with controlled tongues and caring meaning we think before speaking, we know in silence is best, we give wise advice, and we speak truthfully while seeking to encourage each other. That shows up in our sex life as well on screen. And in closing, I'll say this one sentence. Or should I say one complete sentence? Because I more than likely I'll be in high demand when it comes to my porn slash radical career. I may not be able to stick to my one to five times a year, so I'll need every six months as a healthy compromise. 
the legends. It's actually helped me with extremely low chance of infection. I know that was probably more than one sentence for us for audience, but and, uh, I'll close with this one sentence. But... No one in my sex life isn't any unnecessary danger because We are making safe and sound decisions. So I just remembered, I just remembered something. Use the same uh, beauty care, personal care products, and hair grooming products that everybody else wears. So they may just use it more because their career is different than most people's careers, and that's okay. Um, but I, I wanted to give this special announcement. Um, I'm so grateful that I'm able to conclude this subject very correctly. Um, I can officially start my one month break talking about religion and sex. I'll pick up again April 16th. So let me get it all out right now. So um, it won't be throbbing like it used to be so I don't attend houses of worship um, I only do it when you know the human rights world has to meet up with believers in that world but for the most part I don't attend any house of worship I don't have to go I don't but there are times where here and there I may have to to engage with them. It could be to, to do community projects, it could be presentations, those kind of things. Um, I don't attend mega churches. Um, I don't attend mega houses of worship. I prefer if I had to attend it would be only in like either small church small churches or um, other arenas where it's not in a mega church kind of thing so I don't mind accepting presentations and things from small churches but if mega churches like want you to come I'd be like we ha you have to schedule an arena so it doesn't make it look like I'm supporting megachurch culture because I don't. Um, it'll be an arena where y'all can come. It just won't be in that church because I know um, 
qualified believers, a lot of non-believers actually will come. Now for the small church, um, still thinking, I think they need more support because of their size and everything, but let's say the high demand to come would be too big. I would say anybody, I would say, you know what, instead of doing it in a small church because the demand would be too high and, and, and it, they would try to make a church a small church, I would say I would have to do it in a neutral location where church and non-church people can come, but it's not, it doesn't have a mega feel to it. So I would um, try my best to be have neutral locations for everything. I know that with believers and non-believers, I'll say let's have it in neutral locations where we can, if you want it to be Christian or if I want to be non-Christian, I don't want to be in a in a place where people feel like they can't come because not everybody feels like they can come to a church. So I'm like, you know, so if whatever is held, I would say let's open it to the whole public and not just um, to a certain demographic. Now, I know that there'll be some congregations of like, we want you to do things where we are. I'll be like, I, I would say... I just don't want to get put a mega church vibe to it, and if they can agree to that, and it's not demeaning to non-believers, okay. Um, I would say the same to non-believers. Less, I don't want to be demeaning to believers, but I don't want a mega feel to it. And if they can agree to that, I'd be like, okay, I meet you where y'all are too. Um, as for the fake healing that I was talking about in the last episode, that's a problem. Um, like the fake crusades. That's what makes a lot of believers against medicine and science. And that's why people are dying needlessly. But even though Jesus, it says the Bible, Jesus, so that we six and disease. And I don't know how they still feel anti-medicine, anti-science. Jesus is not. And Jesus doesn't have a black and white view on things. Jesus welcomes great area on all things. And um, I don't have absolute truth or absolute certainty in my life when it comes to um, anything religious, of course. Um, or faith, spirituality, what have you. But I also want to say in closing that um, I am so grateful to be a non-religious Jesus disciple, but I'm also so grateful to be an ethical porn sex partner and ethical sex partner off screen 
and I'm going to say this in closing, of all closings, with one sentence. I am... I've done all I can, and now I just stand. And I'm allowing my whole self to shine through. My one month break from religion and sex officially starts right now. And I will not repeat this anymore after that.